everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Abajamra, and I'm your host. It is fun to be back with you. We're launching a new series today. It is a new everything, except same old me, same great podcast. If you've been here before, then you know how this works. Uh, we share all sorts of things. We try to keep it under half an hour. Uh, the goal is to focus on biblical truth for everyday life. Sometimes we do teaching series, as we're going to be launching today. Other times we uh, answer questions. I answer questions in a series called Dear Lena, which I'm working on soon uh, for a new series. Uh, but for today, I'd like to let you know that if you go to livingwithpower.org, you can subscribe to a daily uh, devotional that you can get for free in your inbox. We call it Power Minute because it literally takes a minute to get through it. And uh, it's a great resource for the beginning of the year. Also, we've got a Bible study launching. You may have heard about it. And if you haven't, then check it out uh, also on our website. Uh, it launches in February and we'd love for you to get your hands on it. It's called Through the Desert. And I'm looking at the faithfulness of God through scripture. I think it'll challenge you. It's a great study to do with a small group or on your own. Uh, hey, today I'm launching a uh, series that I taught recently called I Feel That. And the subtitle is Embracing a Biblical Response to My Negative Emotions. Who doesn't have negative emotions? Listen, every day is an opportunity to feel fear, anger, grief, shame, loneliness, insecurity. And those feelings are real. Every one of us has felt them. What we want is to be free of them. Uh, what uh, I see in scripture is that God uses those emotions to draw us closer to him and to deepen our relationship with him. So if you've longed for freedom from negative emotions, this is going to be a great series for you. When I look at one uh, emotion every week, I think you're going to love it. More importantly, I think you're going to learn from it. So uh, sit back or if you're exercising or if you're driving, uh, lean in and listen up. And I pray that God will use this teaching uh, to draw you closer to him. Amen. And it is good to be with you. I'm going to talk to you about 30 minutes about grief today. Last week, the first week was an intro, why we feel what we feel. You can go back and listen to it again. It'll be in the archives there. Last week, we talked about fear, the greatest enemy of all. Today, grief, the unwanted companion, the unwanted companion. And I jotted down next to the word unwanted as I prepared for this, the unwanted but necessary companion. We need the gift of grief. And I know some of you who are feeling the strain of grief might resent that statement. Maybe you might fight it a bit, but you're going to see as we go through the gift of grief and how God is using it for good. And it is a companion in our life. In fact, I thought we'd start just by a definition of grief. What is grief? By the way, we're going to land in a moment in John 11. But before we make our way there, I'm going to sort of walk you through a little bit of the story of scripture. By the way, if you're new here, I'm Lena. Good to meet you. And uh, I guess I forgot to say that in the intro. And we're so happy you're here. I am a Bible teacher. I've been doing this since 2000-ish. I grew up as a in the church. I gave my life to Christ as a child. And I um, felt a call to serve God with my life as a teenager. But then in vocational ministry in 2000 in the midst of a lot of personal heartache and and God has continued to allow me to do this thing which is to teach his word in many different ways and in the last couple of years since COVID we've been doing this online and just a gift to be here I'm not a pastor I'm not a motivational speaker I simply share with you insights that God has put on my heart from scripture and uh, I love his word it is so alive and so grief what is grief grief is pure definition, deep sorrow that is a response to loss. So you think about the ways that we experience grief, you know, think about the losses in your life. In fact, before we think about our own losses, let us backtrack. And But I thought about scripture and I thought a little bit about grief. And do you know grief is a result of the fall? At the end of the day, grief is a result of the fall. You go back all the way. In fact, all these negative emotions that we experience, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter uh, three, and you see the fall of Adam and Eve. And, and when they made the choice to eat the fruit and they foregone all of those things that God had given them freely, the joy, the peace, the 
the lack of tension, the fullness of life, the abiding in the spirit, all that was lost. So there was grief right away. And you see that grief. I mean, even if you want to sort of say, okay, maybe their first emotion was fear because they feared God when they couldn't, when he was looking for them. But then very shortly after that, they left the garden of Eden. There was loss from this place that God had given them their home. They lost their home. And, and I don't know completely the sense of time, but they lived for a certain matter of time in Eden. And then by the end of chapter three, after the fall, after their break in relationship with God, they're now outside of Eden. Of course, God provided for them a place to live outside of Eden, but still the loss of the comfort, the security, the purity of relationship with God. Think about it. But then you move into chapter four and right away after the tragedy of of Eden and, and all that happened in their break of relationship with God, you get into chapter four of Genesis and right off the bat, Cain kills Abel. And how many of you haven't um, had family members who have gone through some deep grief? Think about it. This is the first family. There's four of them alive and, and Cain kills Abel. And now there's not just the grief of loss of relationship with God, the grief over their sin, the grief over losing their home, the grief over all the beauty of heaven and how it could have been in Eden. And now they're out on their own. And, 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 and now their son kills their other son. Think about that. The story of the Bible starts with grief, really, right after that beautiful Genesis 1 and 2 where everything was good. And then you kind of move into, of course, the grief of Genesis 6 and how, uh, you know, Noah and the ark and the destruction of the world. Because why? Well, God was grieved in Genesis chapter 6. He was grieved because he had created a world that had turned his back, their back on him. And so as a result, there was this punishment in Genesis chapter 6, out of which God makes a covenant with the people, says, never again will this happen. I'm not, not going to destroy the world again. And then you move into Genesis 12. And do you know that the story of Abraham, this is, Abraham's like the forefather in the faith, right? And as God calls him right before Genesis 12, do you know it starts with grief? Abraham's father at the end of Genesis 11 dies. That's where the story of Abraham starts is after his dad dies, God calls him. And then he moves into Genesis 13 and Lot, his nephew, turns his back on him and chooses the good land. And, and there's a loss, the grief of that relationship. Sometimes grief comes in the loss of death, unexpected death, like in the story of Cain and Abel. Sometimes it's a loss of relationship like Adam and Eve with God. Sometimes it's through loss of a dream, a vision, a future that you thought was secure and now is not. But sometimes it comes through loss of relationship. Your brother in Christ, your, this nephew that you had poured into Abraham had poured into Lot he had brought him with him on this journey and Lot like stabs him in the back and picks the good land and, and Abraham sort of gets this land that looks rotten and honestly from a worldly perspective you could look and be like what in the world just happened Abraham got the raw deal but really he didn't because it's never about what the land looks like it's about God the God of the land and then you keep going through the story of scripture of course you get to Isaac and then of course Jacob who of us doesn't understand the grief of the life of Jacob I mean he was so close to his mother and because of the sin in their lives he ends up leaving and he never sees Rebecca after he leaves Rebecca's his mother he leaves and never sees her again by the time he comes home she's already gone and then you look at his kids and the loss of Josh of Joseph for some time and you can literally track scripture and see story of loss after loss after loss in one form of another the entire the people of Israel their story is one of loss by the time you get to the to, to of course there's an entire book called Lamentations Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah and Lamentations and the entire book of Jeremiah and Lamentations is, is, a, is, a, is a lament, a lament, a grief story of what? Of a people who God had chosen and loved and had turned their back on God. And so they lose their nation for a while. They're sent into exile. They're taken up by the Persian rule. And for 70 years, there's, there's no place for them to be home. They're out as refugees in a land that was not their own. It is a 
grievous thing to read scripture. And of course, you get to the heart of, of who God is and you get, by the time you get to Isaiah 53, Isaiah is an amazing book of prophecy and one of the most amazing chapters in scripture, by the way, is Isaiah 53. And in it, we find an aspect of God that is so intriguing. And it is talking about the coming of Christ. And one of the distinctives of Christ is that he is a man who understands grief. Christ is the incarnation of God. He is all God and he is all man. And in it, we see this vivid picture of who Christ is. And so we're told in chapter 53 of Isaiah, I'm gonna read a little bit of it and then I'm gonna jump to the New Testament because we're gonna go from this picture of who Jesus is in Isaiah and then we're gonna go to John chapter 11 where we see the embodiment of Christ and how he is reacting in everyday life as this man who's described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In fact, in Isaiah 53 verse three, he says, about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely we're told about this is Jesus who is God in the flesh. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The very God who started the story of scripture, the perfect world and created perfect people in it and gave them everything their hearts desired, who saw this entrance of grief into the world through their sin. Now we hear that he is a God who is understanding of our grief. In fact, he became man to bear our grief, to carry our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But it starts with the sentence that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is a savior of the world who is known as a man of sorrows. We see in the New Testament so many images of Jesus who, who felt this compassion towards people who are sorrowful. One of my favorite examples is in Luke chapter seven. I'll get to it later in the, in the teaching, but, but I wanna land on this object lesson, this illustration of how Christ interacted with us in our grief by the story of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus in John chapter 11. One of my favorite stories in scripture, I would say. And, and you might know the story if you know scripture at all. And it is a story of, of these two sisters who lived with their brother and the brother gets sick and, and Mary and Martha do the, the smart thing. They know Jesus. Jesus has been healing people. They know him well. He's like, they're in, like in their inside circle. So they send for Jesus and they say, can you come and heal Lazarus? And by the way, Jesus didn't even need to show up to heal him. There was precedence in scripture where by faith, Jesus could heal from far away. And yet Jesus delays. And when I read, I'm going to read you a little bit of the story because now this is the man who we have just read about in Isaiah 53, who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Before we do, as we get into the sketch of what I'm going to talk about today, I told you we do four points. And so let me just give you sort of this uh, grief, the unwanted but necessary companion. Let me give you sort of this first big idea, uh, which is this, to grieve is a normal response in a broken and painful world. To grieve is a, actually, it's a normal response in a very broken and painful world. you heard just now in this quick summary of the Old Testament, we skipped a lot, I mean, it was a couple of minutes of a sketch, but you see, as you look at the story of the fall of mankind and sort of those early days and kind of walking through, sort of remembering a little bit about how our forefathers, you know, kind of built relationship with God and on and on and on, you see that, that, that we live in a broken world and it, you don't even have to go back five, six, seven thousand years ago, you can look today 
around you and see evidence of the brokenness through the way that people are responding to each other, through the brokenness of the planet Earth. People talk all the way about how the Earth is rotting and environmentalism. Listen, environmental radicalists aren't going to save the world from rottenness. It's because it's broken. And so there's grief. It's okay to grieve those things. Grief is a painful emotion that flows out of painful life experiences. How many of you aren't logging on today and thinking, man, I don't want to hear about grief. And yet you understand it because you're buried under the weight of it. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. That's the most common type of grief that we hear about that just a lo unexpected loss of a child or a spouse. But it can be, again, it can be a loss of a, a job or a loss of a dream or a loss of a future idea of what your life would look like or a loss of a relationship, maybe a friendship that meant a lot, a lot to you. In this era, we're talking about deconstruction and a lot of people are saying, I no longer believe what I used to believe. Maybe you've lost a church. I just wrote a book called Fractured Faith that talked about what happened in 2013 in my life and sort of the loss of that community. It took years of learning to understand that that grief that was felt at that of that was normal. Right now, we're walking through something with the Hope Branch that has come unexpectedly, that has a heavy weight of what looks like potential loss in the near future. And, and, and how it will play out, we don't know yet, but there's pain and it is normal to grieve over a painful and a broken world. You see, painful emotions flow out of painful life experiences and grief communicates that I've lost something important to me that I thought I needed or maybe that you did need. Grief is messy. It cannot be boxed into a one size fits all. You might be here, some of you may be legitimately grieving the loss of a job and someone else tells you, well, I lost my husband. Your job isn't as important as my husband. Like You can't compare apples and oranges. The pain you feel in loss, it's some of you will, will bounce back from grief faster than others. Others of you, how many of us thought, my I was healed from this. And then 20 years later, there's a sore spot. It's like a wound that someone puts their finger on and you go, man, I don't think I was completely healed. And so there's not a one size fits all, one box fits all. Grief can come in so many different forms. And we see it here with Mary and Martha. What starts off as a little bit of sadness and worry and fear. Last week, you talked about fear. And so what started off as, as fear, it says, now a certain man was ill in John 11, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, these, these ladies were interesting because they were close to the Lord. It was Mary, we're told, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. She was a worshiper of God. It says it was her whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him to Jesus saying, Lord, remember this is Jesus, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. She sends to him and says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. A couple of observations. Number one, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They sent after Jesus who they knew they had confidence in their relationship. There was a certainty that we are on good terms with Jesus. We love him. He loves us. This is going to work out for good. And so there's a, there's a fear, but there's a joy and there's a sense of security. And Jesus answers and you almost feel like, ah, oh, this is amazing. It's all going to work out because he says, this isn't going to lead to death. It's for the glory of God. And so you almost get this false sense of everything's going to be all right because we believe. This morning I did a reel on Instagram about hope and hope is the confident expectation that our God who is good is going to deliver on his promises and and, and we start off each day with this hope, like, God, you're going to be a God of Romans 8, 28 and Jeremiah 29, 11. And there's so much hope in us that God is just going to work everything out for good. And, and listen, and he does, but not right away. 
And so now Jesus, it says in verse five, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answers, are, you, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And in that moment, you hear that Lazarus hasn't just gotten really sick, but he's now crossed the threshold into death. And now this is where grief enters. Up until that point, there was hope that perhaps something might happen, that perhaps Jesus might answer the prayer request, that perhaps somehow a miracle would happen at the last moment. But now from a human perspective, that moment is gone. All hope can now be put in a box, put on a shelf, because in our world, we'd say, man, now it's too late. In fact, that's what the disciples were like. He said, why do we need to go? And Jesus tries to explain it to them, but of course their hearts are blinded still. And so verse 17, now we're going to see grief expand. Now there's a loss, it's real, it's irreversible. And says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, to Martha and Mary to console them. I'm gonna come back and talk a little bit about this power of community, but don't miss that. That is something that the... Uh, the East is so much better at than us. You know, the Jewish people, even to this day, they hold Shiva after somebody dies or for 40 days or for seven days after, before they bury the person, they gather together and the community, uh, the family, the loved ones of people, they just sit together. They offer support to one another. It is a ritual that is thought to bring people comfort in the midst of their grief and how many of us haven't understood the importance of that presence. And again, I'll get to back to that, but, but see this pattern that, 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 that the role of people plays in grief because I think it's so important. So Mary and Martha have the people console him concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. C.S. Lewis talks about this laziness of grief after he lost his wife. He didn't marry forever and he finally married a woman and just was like the happiest time of his life. And and if you've, there's, they've written movies and books about it. He, he wrote A Grief Observed about this relationship. And, and this woman, they were married not very long when she found out she had cancer. She ends up dying. Shadowlands is a movie that actually is not on iTunes, but you can find it on Amazon. You should watch it. You'll cry through the whole thing. But he wrote about grief, that there's a laziness of grief and whether Mary was just too weighed down with grief. And who doesn't understand that? That sometimes when you're so weighed down with grief, you can't even get off the sofa. You're just like sitting there and you just don't want anyone to talk to you. And you feel like you're in engulfed with a laziness and I've watched on Twitter people who have lost loved ones they talk about this very same thing and it's a heaviness and it's a weight and so Mary is we're going to see in a moment that she is herself grieving tremendously and Martha is a bit more vocal she's grieving in her own way remember there's not a one-size-fits-all they're both grieving tremendously their brother was their way to find some sense of safety and security in the world in a culture where women did not work, did not bring in any income, where they needed the protection perhaps of Lazarus. And now he's the one who's died and they're a mess. And the very savior they thought would help them has not. And so there's deep, deep grief. And so Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And now she declares, maybe in faith, maybe in resentment, I don't know. But says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, what we often do, we spiritualize things when we're in, in pain. And she says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
And so many of us cope with loss in our own way. Some of us deny the loss. Some of us minimize the loss. Most of us over-spiritualize the loss, especially if we've grown up in spiritual communities that taught us that, man, if you're a Christian, then you cannot grieve because we have a better hope and we've sort of separated the two things from one another. We think that to hope is not to grieve and we can't see that there are two sides to a very one coin. And so we're very much like Martha. We're very much into trying to come up with, with quick excuses and and spiritual reasons why we might be hurting. And sometimes you don't need to do that. And Jesus, of course, his goal in all this is so much deeper and so much more. And he already foresaw that this was happening. And so he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, who, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, Martha, believe this? Do you believe this? And, and, and even though she declares that she does in a moment we'll see that her faith needed to be enlarged and grown she says to him yes lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god who is coming into the world and how many of us think that we believe god until the next crisis right and at the next crisis we look at our life and we look at our reactions we look at our negative emotions and we think maybe i didn't believe as much as i thought that i did because what comes out from our heart is still fear and anxiety and while there's space for that and while there's god has given us all of our emotions to show us how we relate to him yet they are diagnostic of the state of our faith and so when she said this she went and called her sister mary saying in private the teacher is here and is calling for you and when she heard it now mary she rose quickly and went to him now jesus had not yet come into the village but he was still in the place where martha had met him when the jews who were with her in the house, consoling her because she was grieving, saw Mary, she rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, again, there's this deep, deep grief in this room. Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. Everybody's crying in deep pain. And what was his response? This is critical. He was deeply moved. He didn't rebuke them for their little faith. He didn't challenge them for not having joy that Lazarus might have eternal life because he believed in Christ. He didn't tell them that to shape up and get strong and act like Christians because they know the rest of the story. That is not how Jesus responded. In fact, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. But it gets even better. He says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the most memorized verse in the Bible, probably one of the most famous ones after John 3.16 is verse 35. And it summarizes what I read to you at the beginning from Isaiah 53. This, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, it says, Jesus wept. And, and, you know, we have done such a lousy job in Christianity of trying to explain those two words. I grew up with people who said that he cried because he didn't want to wake Lazarus up from heaven. Heaven was so much better than earth. And maybe that was the reason, but I don't think so. We've grown up with people who have tried to explain that perhaps it was this or that. But at the end of the day, Jesus wept because he was a man. of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You cannot live in a broken world (laughs) 
and not feel grief. You could know the people well and feel deep grief. Or you can look at pictures of kids and families suffering under agony in countries that you'll never go to and feel this deep sense of brokenness and grief. And it is because we all understand the destruction of sin and the pain of grief and loss. Who of us doesn't understand that deep in our souls? And we know it because we're made in the image of God who sees brokenness and cries. Listen, painful emotions suppressed eventually come out in unhealthy ways. How many of you have not watched that in family members who have gone through deep loss and instead of dealing with them, instead of expressing them, have tried to numb the pain of grief through one or two or three or four addictions and vices that might in the short term make them feel better. Painful emotions suppressed eventually come out in unhealthy ways. Painful emotions rejected will lead you to be hardened in your heart. When tears come, it's okay to let them show. Listen, we are a people who are taught in this culture not to show tears or emotion. We feel like it is a sign of weakness. You can go to a stinking funeral and still try to work your best not to let any tears come down because for some reason we have convinced ourselves that it is a weakness to show that depth of emotion, yet we serve a savior who cried because Lazarus was dead and his friends were hurting, and even though he knew the rest of the story. And yet in that moment, he hurt for them. Painful emotions can also, though, point us towards God. We look at grief as an interruption. We look at grief sometimes as a curse. We look at grief with embarrassment, sometimes with shame. And yet grief is what God uses to enlarge our heart and turn our minds and our hearts back to him. It is not an interruption. It is a gift meant to draw us closer to him. And, and in, in the words of Jesus in John chapter 11, this very painful experience that Mary and Martha were going through was one that would lead eventually to the glory of God so that the Son of God would be glorified through it. It was meant to strengthen their faith and to help them to understand the real meaning of the resurrection and the life. And so to grieve is a normal response in a broken and painful world. Oh, we need, we need people who grieve better. We need Christians who grieve the state of the world. Too many of us are so hardened in our hearts. Oh, we know how to feel anger. We know how to feel righteous indignation. We're quick to turn the tables in the temple, but we are not familiar with grief. And there's much to be grieved about in our world today. Here's a second big idea. To grieve and still hold on to hope is not only possible, but is Christ-like. To grieve and still hold on to hope is not only possible, it is actually Christ-like. It is the goal. It's to grieve and hold on to hope. You can do both. It's not either or, it's both and. Grieving loss does not automatically mean that you have become hopeless of new life for the future. See, we just think that somehow if I cry the loss, if I take time and, and mourn the loss. And somehow I'm lesser of a Christian because I'm not acknowledging the resurrection. But you can do both. We do do both. We're instructed to do both. We see the picture of Jesus here who knows very much that in the next breath, Lazarus will be risen from the dead. That he stops in the moment and he weeps as Mary and Martha and the people around them are heartbroken. Whatever the reasons that he wept, I think it is a reminder for us that we can hold both intention that you can 
right in this moment, grieve and yet hold to the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we're told very powerfully by the Apostle Paul that we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, he goes on, verse 18 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We grieve, but we grieve differently than people in the world because we know what's to come. We know the rest of the story. We know we're not just, we're not waiting for a Christ who will come and raise our Lazarus. We are already worshiping a Christ who has risen himself from the dead, who has gotten victory over death and pain and sin and all those things that bring us grief. He's already risen. And because we know the rest of the story, we can both grieve the pain of this broken world, but also look towards the future with a deep sense of peace and hope. Grieving with hope is the hallmark of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. To not grieve would make us a hard shell of a person who claims to know love and yet shows it so little in a world that desperately needs it. But to grieve without hope rips out the story of the resurrection of Jesus, which is in the case of John chapter 11, where they're waiting for Lazarus. To, they hadn't seen the resurrection of Jesus, so they they didn't have the context that we have. We have the context that Christ has already died and overcome death and has resurrected so that we can look at the redemption that comes out of any situation of loss, be it a loss of a dream, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a loved one, a loss of an idea, a loss of a church, a loss of whatever it is that you're going through and stare it in the eye and say, I know that it looks dead right now, but life in Christ is already here. What about others? What about this sense of community? I think this is huge. We see it all over John chapter 11. In fact, here in that moment, right outside of the tomb, when you've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus dead and the neighbors around and Jesus shows up and we've covered a couple of sentences in the chapter where you see these people together. Listen, here's point number three. And I think this, some of you tonight are not grieving, but you know people who are grieving. You're living with people who are grieving. Listen, there are people grieving things that you think are idiotic, like, like just this mask mandate that just was dropped on the planes. 80% of people in the United States didn't care. 20% are devastated. We look at them and go, man, what's wrong with them? Instead of feeling some sense of grief for them, we're so hard-hearted, so caught. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, I took the mask off. I flew two days ago. I'm not saying I don't care about one way or the other, but the hardness of our heart that automatically assumes that which is not like us is less than us. And, and yet there's such a depth of community that can arise by this. To grieve with others offers more comfort than to grieve alone. And I, let, me, let me go ahead and tie in point number three and four as we kind of land on this sense of community. So three is to grieve with others offers more comfort than to grieve alone. And then to grieve is a testimony to the watching world that we care. I think those two are hand in hand. There's a communal aspect to grieving that is the gift of the church. And I think we've failed in this, frankly. I really do. I think we don't know how to grieve alone. and We don't know how to grieve together. Many of us grieve alone because we don't want to inconvenience. This is, this is the word that I I think most of us don't want to admit, but we don't want to inconvenience anybody in our local churches or anyone who knows us with our mess. And we just, we keep our messes hidden and you might be hurting tonight and you might have shown up and like, I right, fine, I'll show up to Electron Grief, but I don't want anybody to know anything about it. Listen, the whole point of John 11 is to show us how a community gathers together and they hug on one another and they grieve together and 
and, 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 and no one is necessarily trying to fix anything. Now, I'd, I'm sure this is a group of Jewish people. Somebody was trying to fix something there. And I say this without overdoing the stereotype. I'm from that part of the world. I guarantee you in Lebanon, somebody would have tried to fix the problem. But the reality is that in that place of pain, what we need is not a fixer, but a companion in our grief. You know, it, it's funny, I'm thinking now about my own nephew, Sam. So much of my time is spent with Sam and I, Think about the gift of somebody like Sam in my life. And, and in those moments when you go through difficult times, you know the best gift that Sam has given me in my life is just to be there. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't fix it. He doesn't blame. In fact, often he'll support the things that you're feeling, but it happens by his presence. How do kids understand that in a way that adults don't? Maybe because they don't have the words yet to mess things up. But most of us in our pain, we don't need a fixer. We need a presence. I think that's been the greatest mistake, if there is, of the church, is that we've tried so hard to take those things that we feel and to box them up in little tidy packages and to offer courses. Here's three ways to overcome your grief. Here's five ways to do this. We think if you just go through that class and if you just fill out these boxes that somehow your emotions are going to become tidy and together and you're going to be able to turn the page on your grief and it just doesn't work this way. What the church is about, what the community of believers is about is what Jesus models, which is he leaves the place that was several days away and he walks back with his disciples into what is presumably a dangerous place for them because he exemplified what it looks like to be in community with those who are grieving. Now, granted, there's also the second part of the story where Lazarus is gonna be awakened from the dead, but, but there's a moment in the story that spends a, a huge number of verses out of the chapter where Jesus is simply with his people in their grief. And how, why would we be surprised when we're told about Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? It is the very way that Jesus is described in the most prophetic chapter in the Old Testament. See, grief shared with others reminds us of what has not been lost and the hope of recovery. See, in every relationship, when you lose something, you lose someone, now you come together with others and there's this reminder of life and, 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 and how you do it and whether you speak about this or about that and whether you hug or you touch or you don't. Or, there's a sense of, of understanding in that moment of being with others that life is still here and that this pain is, 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 is tolerable because others are shouldering it with you. And my friend Steve uh, Smith, who's a pastor at High Point Church, um, in fact, gave a great definition I want to share with you of lament recently. And so there's a communal aspect to lament that I think we're growing into in the American church. I don't think it's been a part of the American church very much in the last decades, but as the church has become more and more broken and as more conversations about that are happening, I do think there's an element of lament that has become a little bit more accepted. And, and I love this definition of lament that Steve gave recently. I was recording a podcast with them and, and we do these conversations. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them. They're called The Gospel, The Culture, and Me. And so we do this post-game analysis, basically, of these podcasts. And Steve is one of the guys who's there, and he's amazing. And he, he gives this sentence about lament. And I think this is what we ought to do for one another as we gather together. And it is lament is how we worship when we're asking why. Lament is how we worship when we're asking why. Why, God? Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why didn't you do this, God? Why? Why? Why did you let us get this far? Why is this 
the way it is today. And it is a place of broken expectations and pain and yet lament is how we worship God in that place when we're asking why. And the strength and the power of community, healthy community, is that you gather together with one another and you lament with one another, you teach, you remind, you embody with one another what it looks like to worship this God, even though you have all of these questions. You can do both. It's not one or the other. You don't need to wait to get the answers to worship God. You can worship God right here, right now, tonight. You may have come into this space and you're carrying grief. Maybe you're angry. I mean, you look at the five stages of grief by Kubler-Ross and she says there's like the denial, there's the anger, there's the bargaining, there's the depression, and then there's acceptance. And listen, whether you, you, you follow these you know, psychological words or not, listen, the reality is we all understand that kind of cycle of pain and we learned it in medical school and you might be coming to this tonight and you're full of anger. Maybe you're still in a place of deep depression or maybe you're working your way to acceptance, but no matter where you are there, there is something powerful about saying, God, I don't know why. I don't know how to fix it, but I am going to worship God in this space no matter what. And we do it by reviewing with one another who he is and we review with one another what he has promised and we tell ourselves and we remind one another this is the power of community is to sit together and to remember together why we still have hope in these places of pain. And so if you came tonight and Maybe that's all you needed was a reminder that you can worship God today even before you get the answers to why. And I believe with all my heart that there will come a day where you and I will get every why for every question that we have ever asked. I really believe we all will know fully that which makes no sense to us today. But until then, we get to worship God while asking why. And that is the beauty of lament, true biblical Christian lament, which is so so lacking in our local churches. The Psalms are that, you know, the Psalms, the writer David wrote so many Psalms and in essence, the Psalms are songs of lament. I think, I think the majority, I don't remember now, I read it this week and I didn't jot it down, but a huge percentage of the Psalms are in fact Psalms, not of praise, but of lament of worshiping God in the midst of why. This is why so many people, when you're going through grief and pain and loss, they'll tell you, man, spend time in the Psalms. In fact, that might be a good word for you. If you're like, man, I don't connect with the word of God because I'm hurting so much and I can't see it and I can't focus. Open the Psalms this week. It is not an accident that four years ago when I was coming out of the pain of fractured faith and walking through church hurt and the loss of the churches, that the pivotal chapter in my life was Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And reading that chapter, man, I felt in that moment like I was seen by God so fully, so fully known, so fully seen. And there is such power. In fact, I would say that is the power of the resurrection of God opening our eyes out of our, de of our dead places and birthing new life through the knowledge that God and his word understands us and loves us and sees us and somehow is enlarging our soul, which I believe is the biggest gift of grief, this unwanted but very necessary companion. Pete Scazzaro has written much about grief. He, there's an author, and I can't remember his name, Satzer or something, I don't remember, but he wrote an amazing book about grief. I'll put it in the notes after this. I meant to look it up right before, and I didn't jot down his name, but he lost his whole family. Three, he was in the car with his mother, his wife, his daughter. Maybe you guys are watching, know the name of that book. It's a great book on grief, and, and, in, and there's a drunk driver who's driving towards them, and he hit them head on, and he lost three generations, his mom, his wife, and his daughter in that car accident. And he tells the story of coming out of that. And one of the things that he talks about, he says, the soul is elastic. It grows larger through suffering. He compares it to sort of a balloon. It expands. God expands our soul through grief. 
sort of many of us understand that because we meet people and we go, man, I connect with them. There's a depth to them and you hear their story and you will hear that pain is part of their story. It is inevitable that those whose souls seem to connect with you the most are people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Isaiah 45, verse three, God talks about, he says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places. And I wonder how often those very secret places are places that have been places of loss and of grief and of mourning for so many of us. Pete Scazzaro, speaking of which, he compares to Kubler-Ross, five stages, and he gives, and I'm gonna end with this, the three stages that he talks about with overcoming grief, and I think they're so, so, so important, and they're this. First, pay attention to your pain. Our pain is not accidental. Our pain is there for a reason. Don't neglect it. Don't minimize it. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. If you're hurting, if you're grieving, listen, maybe your whole family, maybe your whole church culture has told you that it doesn't matter. You need to let it go. So some of you may be mourning things that you were told that you need to move on from. Maybe it was a miscarriage. Maybe nobody knew you were pregnant and you lost that baby and you're mourning it, but you don't want to say it. Maybe you lost your innocence as a child through, through, through abuse that you didn't never told anybody and you feel the sense of loss. Listen, listen, pay attention to your pain whether it's pain that you've already discussed with others or not, lean into it. God wants to use that pain to enlarge you, so pay attention to it. Give it its due time. Give it its, 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 let it have its normal response in you. It's there because of a broken world. And so whether you need to meet with a person, a counselor, a, a pastor, a friend to talk about it, pay attention to your pain. If you're hurting tonight, why is it you're hurting? What is it that you are grieving the loss of? Number two, wait on the Lord in your confusion. Wait on the Lord in your confusion. This is, if there is a theme of the life of King David in the Psalms, it is that. It is that every so often in his life, he found himself in a place where he just didn't know why and he waited on the Lord and it was painful and you hear his, his, his emotions like, like few other people in scripture where he pours his heart out and he just waited on the Lord. We're so rushed, we want quick fixes, we want to move on, we want everything to work out so quickly and beautifully and, and we're taught that in our culture in so many subliminal ways. It is time for us to say, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. If we want our souls to grow, if we want our spirit to connect with this Christ who sits with us and weeps with us in our pain, that we need to wait on the Lord in our confusion, lament. And then thirdly, let the old birth the new we need to beef up our theology of resurrection. Listen, things will die, but new life will come out of them. We're talking tonight about this at dinner, and Sam says, you know, he says, it's so much like the death of Christ. Christ died, and three days later, he rose again. Many of you see that in your own lives. You, you see something die, and a theology of the resurrection believes that whether it is a tomb that is opened and the spirit of, and the body of Lazarus walking out, which Martha barely believed, even though she said she would believe, when Christ said to her, take away the stone, she said, how can we move the stone? The body's rotted in there. And yet it was the very act of faith that moved away the stone that allowed this coming out of Lazarus. And it is, and, and as, as they saw this resurrection, it says that, and, and, and let me tie in that last point that I gave you quickly. It says that um, many, so, so the man who had died in verse uh, chapter 11 of John, in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So Jesus calls out Lazarus. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then here's the verse. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. That last point, I went over it quickly. To grieve is a testimony to the watching world that we 
care. Everyone's watching what's going to happen here. They watched Jesus come. They watched Jesus weep. Now they watch Jesus birth this resurrection out of death. And for us, it might not be a Lazarus come out of the dead. Look, some things die in this world, but, but it might be births in other ways. So many people who have lost deep, deep, deep things in their lives have been able to point to, man, you read the story of missionaries and you'll see stories of loss all over the place. Elizabeth Elliot is one of the most famous people who lost so much in the jungles of the Amazon and yet so much life grew out of that that I guarantee you, in fact, you don't need to guarantee, you can read her own writings and see that not for a moment would she have done her life differently. See, to grieve is the embodiment of compassion. To grieve is to emulate Christ. To grieve is to admit the pain and the grief of guilt and of sorrow and of brokenness. And then to help others grieve is one of the greatest gifts of love that we can give one another. I think I'll end with the words of the old hymn, Man of Sorrows. What a name. And, and I think we started with this idea of Jesus being a man of sorrows. And tonight, if you know him, then I think you're these words of this hymn might mean so much to you. And if you don't know him, that I invite you to get to know him. And the way to do it is through his word. And so this uh, old hymn says, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we spotless lamb of God was he full redemption can it be hallelujah what a savior lifted up was he to die it is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted high hallelujah what a savior when he comes our glorious king to his kingdom us to bring then anew his song will sing hallelujah what a savior we started the story in the fall in the garden of eden and someday our story will end back in the eternal garden with Christ. That is the theology of the resurrection. Whether we see those things on this earth that we want to come to life, come to life or not, we are guaranteed because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we will live forever in a world that has no sorrow, no tears, no mourning, no grief, no lament, no loss. But by then our hearts will be so enlarged with the presence of Christ that we won't need the gift of grief in order to experience that depth of compassion that is ours as a gift of the man of sorrows. And so tonight I wanna to encourage you, if you're in a place of grief, you're in a good place. It's not a forever place, but let God have his way with you in that place. Pay attention to your pain, wait on the Lord in your confusion and let the old birth the new. Well, and there you have it. This ends the uh, podcast for today and I'm so glad you stuck it out and listened and I pray that God is using uh, what you heard uh, to draw you closer to him. We love the Lord here and we love seeing him work in your life. Listen, don't forget to check out livingwithpower.org. We've got a couple of great things coming up. First is the new study launching in February. Right now, if you buy it, you get so many awesome freebies. I'm not kidding you. There's some resources that you're going to love. Check it out. Uh, Irina's put this together. And uh, uh, by the way, Irina is my assistant who makes all of this magic happen. So give her a shout out. In fact, one way you can thank her is share this podcast with someone you love. Uh, 
give us a shout out on, on Twitter or Instagram or however you follow us. And we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, also, if you check out our website, you'll find all sorts of freebies. Uh, there's a daily inbox, um, a daily devotional that comes into your inbox called Power Minute. We'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. Hey, we're just glad you're here. We're just glad that uh, you have leaned into what God might want to do in your life in this year. And so we're praying for you and know that we're here for you. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, have an awesome week and stay in touch. If you've got any questions, any comments, any prayer requests, shoot them to me at lena at livingwithpower.org. Be blessed.